0: Enjoy this Sam soundbite, and if you would like to hear more, you can find full episodes and more at www.sportsandmore.ca. Uh, 1981, um, known obviously for the strike and, and, you know, Canadian fans know what that's like, uh, except it didn't come back in 1994 when we all thought the Expos were going to win the World Series. But the other big thing 81 is known for is Fernando Mania. And I mean, it sounds like from what you describe in that book that it really took over that area. And and I really like the history lesson you give about how Dodger Stadium came to be and, and why uh, Mexican Americans in that area did not support the Dodgers for a long time.
1: Sure, I, it, Chavez Ravine, the, the, the fabled home of Dodger Stadium since 1962, was once uh, a, a, a vibrant neighborhood, a Mexican mm. neighborhood. It was it was low income. Um, it was an area where Mexicans could go and afford to go in Los Angeles County. Um, at you know, for for much of the last century. Uh, many Los Angeles neighborhoods were, were racially restricted, right? And this was open, available land a mile from downtown. It was available because there were these rugged hillsides that, that made the land uh, in the eyes of developers seem you know, not, worth, not worth going for. Uh, so these, these three communities cropped up. There were a couple schools, there was a post office, there was uh, a church, and generations of, of Mexicans and Mexican Americans grew up there. Uh, in the 1950s, the land was cleared out for a housing development. The idea was that, that they would build a housing project. This was in the era before you know, the term housing project was a negative. Mm-hmm. This was seen as as beneficial at the time. These towers, these beautiful, you know, clean neighborhoods with with auditoriums and schools and markets. And and the residents of, of Chavez Ravine were offered the first chance to get units in the new development as they became available, if they would willingly sell their homes to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them did, a few of them did not, and were ultimately forcibly removed in, in pretty terrible ways. Uh, and before that development could get built, uh, during the Red Scare, the McCarthyism of the 1950s, uh, Los Angeles. Mayor was was ran out of office. A conservative named Norris Polson was was elected and scrapped the project entirely. You know, the, the city had already received millions of dollars in federal funding to build these things. He had to return that, but it was worth it. And that left the city of Los Angeles with a lot of empty acreage, not a lot to do with it. And that at about that time, Walter O'Malley decided to move his team out of Brooklyn. That's mm-hmm. where the Dodgers ended up. They they could never they could never reach that demographic to mm-hmm. O'Malley's Eternal consternation. Uh, he knew he knew the depth of the Mexican community in Los Angeles. In 1981, there were there was a higher concentration of Mexicans in Los Angeles County than anywhere in the world outside of Mexico City. Mm. And and the Dodgers could not reach them to the degree they wanted. They they had been broadcasting in Spanish in Spanish language broadcasts uh, pretty much since they moved to Los Angeles. They'd been trying and and doing all they could. They they the one thing they lacked was a Mexican player to activate that community. Uh, the way that O'Malley and then his his protege uh, Al Campanis kept putting it was, "We want to find a Mexican Sandy Koufax yeah. who would, who would you know attract the Mexicans in the way that Koufax attracted the Jews." Uh, until Fernando came along, they could not do that. Um, and 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 Fernando's rise was incredible, right? He's he's a twenty year old. He's a rookie. He had come up for a handful of relief appearances the previous season. Um, just before opening day, the Dodgers' number one starter, Jerry Royce, strained his calf uh, running in the outfield. Their number two starter, Bert Hooton, uh, thinking he had an extra day to, to recover, had had surgery for an ingrown toenail. Um, Bob Welch had some bone spurs in his elbow that cost him a couple weeks. Their their number of four and five starters had just pitched in the spring training closing freeway series against the Angels, and there was no one left to pitch which is how Fernando Valenzuela became the first rookie to start an opening day in the 98-year history of the franchise uh, against the class of the National League, the Houston Astros, what does he do? He throws a complete game shutout. You know, the, the, the next game, nine innings. Next game, complete game shutout. Next game, complete game shutout. Um, in, in the fifth game, he had, he'd gone complete games all five. He went three for four at the plate to raise his season batting average to 438. And there was, there was nothing this guy could not do. He ended up winning his first eight major league starts, going nine innings in all of them, after which he had a 0.5 ERA. The guy was Superman. Like, no one had seen anything like it. And uh, suffice it to say, by that point, the local Mexican community was activated. Uh, I and mean, It was a mariachi party in the grandstand. And I mean, it was not just Mexicans taking part. Everyone was wanted in on this. Mm-hmm. and And you know one of the one of the beat writers at the time put it kind of beautifully to me, said, what stuck with him was that it wasn't the creation of some PR department, right? right? This was all organic. people were were showing up on their own. and And it was a beautiful thing. And Dodgers Spanish language broadcaster Jaime Harien, who served as as a uh, an interpreter early on for Fernando, told me that nobody in baseball history had single-handedly created more baseball fans than did Fernando Valenzuela that year. And I believe him.
0: Well, uh, some of the events you talk about, uh, you know, outside of baseball sound almost like Beatlemania. I mean, like the, the 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 one event that you describe, thousands of people were turning up for these autograph sessions. And, you know, it's, it was almost like Fernando was a member of the Beatles that they had to
1: get out of there. They had to bring in extra players for protection almost. Yeah, I mean, they had these little meet and greets and they had been doing them for years. They'd, they'd you know, put a couple players in a van, take them out to a, a local park. They'd, they'd meet some kids, sign some autographs and, and go home. And the most they would ever draw was a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. And, and something like 2,000 showed up at this little city park. Fernando had to hide in a women's bathroom until sheriffs could form a phalanx to get him out. Um, I, before we move on to another topic, I would like to, to point out a new book uh, this year called Stealing Home by Eric Nussbaum, who, mm. who is a great writer. It's all about the history of Chavez Ravine and what led up to Dodger Stadium going there. Oh. Um, you know, I, I devoted a part of a chapter to it because my book is, is about many other things. His book is exclusively about that. It is unbelievable. It's fascinating. It's a great read. I cannot recommend it enough. It's called Stealing Home.
0: Thanks for listening to this Sam Soundbite. If you would like to hear more, you can find full episodes and more at www.sportsandmore.ca.